This is high school religion class with George Bresnahan. I wrote uh, to a cousin, kind of apologizing four years later, four years after the fact. Uh, four years ago, he, when Trump won, uh, he sent someone else's letter to all of his cousins saying, let's give the guy a chance. And I wrote back a scathing letter that probably all the cousins saw, uh, not willing to give Trump a chance. Uh, and uh, I kind of thought I overdid that. I didn't need to, to rage out. And then I saw him two years ago, a year and year and a half ago um, at a big reunion and I thought I saw something in his in his expression there when I first sat down to talk with him that he was rec uh, resigning himself to the fact that I, I wasn't going to apologize there so it seemed to me so I've been meaning to get around to it so I did uh, a few weeks ago I said, hey, well, Trump was worse than we even expected at that point. But nonetheless, I uh, should have been more discreet and, you know, just more uh, kinder. And so I'm sorry about that. And he wrote back and said, oh, I'd forgotten all about it. Uh, no problem. He's something about that not being a positional uh, letter. I guess he means that it didn't necessarily reflect his views. I think he was saying it's good. It's good to apologize. Uh, in 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 at the right time, in the right way, when it's needed. Yeah. I like to lavish praise on people because yeah, I want to make them feel good, and I don't need their uh, approval i just want to make them feel good and that's why i i uh, approached that woman from this neighborhood from the comité at mass yesterday because i i came into this world i, I want to make people feel better for having interacted with me not not feel worse and i it's, it's something I need to be aware of all the time. I know someone big, tall, strong man. He has a factory now. I mean, fortune favors the, the experienced. Fortune favors the, the, the ready. And he was ready. Now he has this big factory. Uh, if I, I was thinking if I saw him today, I would find him strong and tall and, and clear-minded, focused. It's kind of a steady, um, generalized focus. It's specific on, on his factory, on his family and his interests. 
is friends, but it's also a, a constant um, steadiness, uh, steadfastness, perhaps. A lot we can learn just watching uh, a good man, a strong man. Indeed. So Gabriel Garcia Marquez is on Netflix. He's up there in heaven. His body's in the grave. And I read his autobiography, which went from the time he was born to uh, the time when his boss in the, a newspaper in Colombia sent him to Europe. And that's where it stops, just a, I guess a year before he sat down to write uh, 100 Years of Solitude. So he wrote a novel there at the end of his autobiography and sent it off to the prestigious Losada publishers in, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and the editor said, find another line of work. Um, fiction isn't for you. Um, but now it's considered a good book, uh, uh, like the original Vanguard, uh, in a, uttering, uh, ushering in a, a uh, new kind of literature in Latin America. That book. Now it turns out that Garcia Marquez married his childhood or, or early teen sweetheart about that time, just after the autobiography ends. And they settled down in Mexico City, and he knows only one thing, which is writing. And he's working on a book. And uh, I don't know where the money comes from, but it runs out. The landlord in Mexico City comes to his wife, Mercedes, and says, you guys are three months behind on the rent. So she, and that was a phone call, so she covers the phone and asks her husband how much longer that book is going to take. He says, six more months. And she says, um, and we're going to owe you, she says to the, landlord we're going to owe you six more months of rent she didn't consider leaving him or she didn't uh, decide to leave him she stayed with him and there and uh, she and her child and they somehow made it to the end because the landlord said all right if you give me my word give me your word that you will um, pay what you owe when you can in seven months' time, then that's fine. And they said, yeah, the, the Gabriel, Gabriel said, yes, I give my word. That was that. So I imagine that uh, 100 Years of Solitude was written under financial duress of sorts in Mexico City. I, I, I just imagine that he was able to cruise on... on royalties of something so accomplished a writer even at that point he worked in newspapers 
in Colombia. And when I see the, the teams that he was a part of in, in these newspapers, it looks like uh, a good job. It looks like something I really should have done you know, 30, 40 years ago. 40 years ago. You know. Well, they say that regret is not uh, a good thing. And shame is not, not uh, something that even belongs to us. And guilt comes from ego, which isn't real. So there's no sense in beating myself up. But I actually want to ask the question how I could do what Gabriel Garcia Marquez did. And here I am, 62. Uh, he realized at some point that he could take his life experiences, his childhood and teen years, and use that as the the grist for his his fiction. He could he could fictionalize his life. And but his life was magical. Uh, a cow bursting through the house and and the um, United, the United Fruit Company leaving the Caribbean, uh, Caribbean Colombia, and the trains, and the heat, and the humidity, and the banana trees, and the girls, and the criminals, and the poverty, and the music, and the dance, and the bands, the singing, the steam steamship up and down the river uh, from the Caribbean to Bogota. It uh, was magical and he was able to take that with lots of writing experience and uh, talent and skill and yeah, take that skill and, and, and turn that sp the spotlight of his mind onto his own life and interpret it in a in fiction. And Bill Clinton was one of his his fans. Bill Clinton understood what what uh, what was there on those pages, uh, human aspiration. Well, what about my life? My uncle in nineteen. 90, when we were driving around Castleton, what was that, my second, my second trip to, to North Dakota, after being, living there 10 years, my second trip, I've only been there four times, once every 10 years, basically, and he said, do you have a novel in you? because I talked about writing. And by the way, another uncle, not a blood, but, uh, but almost, I mean, Don Tingley said to me, write about your own life. Write about your life. He said that 22 years ago. And that was a real compliment. My life. Now, uh, 
Georgie, my son has confirmed that he thinks I'm a sp- I was a spy, which is a huge compliment. He, he has ignored the the journal that I kept about him, you know, in his childhood. That hasn't impressed him at this point, but now that I gave it to him, but what he is impressed with is my passport from my my twenties and thirties, somewhere in there, I guess my twenties, yeah. Back when they stamped passports, you know, everywhere you went. And he says, yeah, Dad, you were a spy. Well, almost. But nothing I can confess to here. Um, I did meet a spy once in, in Guanajuato. She was a former uh, in British spy, I'm told. She never told me that. Um, and she got burned to the tune of, I think, $10,000 by a mutual friend who had a restaurant there in Guanajuato and was losing money and getting flustered, and so she flew the coop. And this British former spy, former British spice, was sharing all this with me, and, and I was already, I think, reading Wayne Dyer-like kinds of material, and so I put a positive spin on on the um, restaurateurs, uh, the fugitives' uh, future. And the Brit said, that would require a core change. And that doesn't happen very often. Hmm. Well, I'm not ready to, to say that kind of thing, though. Uh, I can repeat her words, but uh, when it comes to the future, by definition, it hasn't happened yet. So I want to hold out the possibility of of, of progress in each mind, and even even declare it and thus manifest it. I it would do well to often remind myself of a, a subtle encounter that I had with Jesus. Jung said, uh, I don't believe, I know. And after that experience, I, I can safely say I know. But I have, that's been 10 years, and I, I can't, can't say that I've really lived completely from, uh, more overtly from that awareness. And, and I think it's, it's time. I think there's, that's a good thing. Oh, the Course in Miracles says that communing with God is, is better than prayer. And I like that. I think that years ago, my, my prayer life uh, transitioned into uh, communing. I had a professor in college, in the seminary, uh, but he was at the, at the university in the religion department. And he said, kind of cynically, he's a little, maybe a little embarrassed, I don't know, that his... The closest he came to prayer would be to 
read a, a book of theology. Um, so be it. So be it. Um, Nicholas Kristof said, uh, can someone be a, a Christian if they don't believe in the resurrection? I never had thought of it, but of course they can. Because God is love, and, and love is, is what matters. Thank you.